Support for this podcast is brought to you by Dear Texas Leases. Dear Texas Leases, connecting hunters from all over the world with landowners in Texas looking to earn passive income through land leasing. For more, visit www.deartexasleases.com. You're listening to How to Make Your Land Work for You. As of 2019, the forest and lumber industry generated almost $20 billion in United States revenue with over 65,000 businesses and over 125,000 employees. A large part of that industry is in Texas, specifically the East Texas Piney Woods region, which in some years has delivered over a half a billion dollars in timber but the economic benefits don't just flow to the sawmills and the logging companies. The industry generates business for transporters, builders, supply companies, and rural landowners. In some parts of Texas, over 90% of the usable timber is owned by private citizens. So if you're a landowner with rural property in East Texas, there's a chance that you may own land with valuable timber rights that you may be unaware of. Or maybe you are aware, but just not sure what to do with those rights. How do you take advantage of the value? How can you make your land work for you? Do you just pick up an axe and start chopping trees? Do you hire a contractor? If so, what pitfalls should you avoid? Will your land be destroyed or harmed once the timber is extracted? All valid questions for someone who may own rural land with valuable timber, but may not have the resources or the expertise to realize this value. On today's show, we will introduce the concept of a virtual timber cooperative. What is it? How does it work? What role can they play in helping landowners overcome the challenges to achieve the goal of making your land work for you? All right, Brandon. Boy, I love that Barry White voice you have. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's it's Friday, man. It's winter. Oh, good. Get ready to roll, you know? No, understood. Oh, let's get the show going. I'm yeah. excited. Let's get it going, Brandon. Yeah, I'm excited as well, Greg. Uh, you know, we've got a great show today on how to make your land work for you. Last week, we discussed digital broadband co-ops and some of the ways that these business organizations can be used to help rural landowners by, one, giving these communities access to high-speed, reliable broadband internet, and two, ultimately create value for the co-op members in the form of profits when these co-ops do well. And we talked about the need to form co-ops and and how co-ops are uniquely positioned to allow its members to take advantage of the different resources, including government funding, to overcome some of the challenges that may otherwise be insurmountable for individual landowners. But as we saw working together, uh, this concept of cooperating through a co-op, we can see that these organizations can really be valuable wealth building tools for landowners. And today we're going to continue that conversation on business cooperatives, but with a new kind of entity, a virtual timber co-op. And hopefully we can give our listeners some ideas for how they can take advantage of this unique business entity. Yeah, I mean, so far we've had some great discussions. I mean, some great 
conversations. Yep. Um, and if you haven't listened to our previous shows, I, I encourage you to, to go back and listen to those shows. Uh, I mean, especially if you're unfamiliar with a co-op or a cooperative, and maybe you've heard of co-op, but you're not exactly sure what it is, how it operates. And, you know, definitely make sure you check out episode six. That's co-op 101, where we get into the nuts and bolts of co-op because of a lot of what we'll discuss today, it'll build upon those same principles. So go back and look, listen to those shows. It'll be useful for you. So as a recap for our listeners, uh, Greg, why don't you give us a brief refresher on what a co-op is and what it's used for? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, uh, as we mentioned before, a co-op is a business. It is a business entity. Uh, it's democratically owned and controlled by the same people who use its goods and services. So a co-op is created to serve a community and to provide either goods and services to that community. You usually find them in rural communities, uh, rural America. And here's the difference between a co-op and other businesses. The profits from a co-op, they're distributed to the members in the community, not to investors, not to you know the greedy investors. So the unique thing about a co-op they're created for a community to provide goods and services to a specific community. And if they make yep. profits, the profits are distributed to the same people in that community. They are made and created to serve a specific community with a need that community has. That's basically a co-op. That's, that's exactly right. That's right. And, you know, we've touched on uh, different kinds of co-ops during our conversations, some of which our listeners may or may not be familiar with. Uh, purchasing co-ops, which are used by the members to have more bargaining or purchasing power, agricultural co-ops, uh, which I believe people may be the most familiar with when people think about a co-op that may sell uh, fresh fruits or vegetables or meat. And last week, we introduced the concept of a broadband co-op and some of the unique benefits and advantages that they have, especially as they relate to bringing reliable high-speed internet to rural America. This week, as I said, we're going to continue that discussion on co-ops and discuss a new type of co-op, a virtual temporary co-op or forestry co-op. So, uh, Greg, before we get into exactly what a virtual forestry co-op is, why don't we talk a little bit about the timber industry in general? I mean, where does timber come from, particularly here in Texas, so that we can paint the picture uh, for our listeners of why a virtual forestry co-op may even be necessary? Yeah, and Brandon, I mean, the, the, the timber and forestry industry, as you mentioned and referenced in the beginning of the show, in the opening, it's a billion-dollar industry. I mean, think about it. It's it's wood, and and, and we use timber uh, products for construction of homes, for you know general business needs, renovations of homes, infrastructure projects. When sure. you look at building roads, you can see even with the bridges, you know, you have wood before the cement is poured. You know, paper. We use paper. I mean, whatever you can think of, just about everything we have uses paper products. So there's a exactly. huge ongoing demand for timber from trees. And here in Texas, particularly in East Texas, it's a huge industry. I mean, the value of lumber that comes from the timber industry in in some years, it can exceed half a billion dollars here in Texas alone. I mean, much of that comes from the East Texas piney wood. So it's just a huge business. And, and, And for those of our listeners who may or may not be familiar with that particular region of Texas, where exactly are the East Texas 
piney woods. Well, Brandon, are you asking that question for the listeners or for yourself? Yourself, you know? <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little bit for me as well, Greg. You know, <laughs> try to reconnect with my East Texas roots here. So help me out. All right, all right. So, so when we talk about the East Texas Texas piney woods. It's about a forty. What well, is a forty-three county region, and we, you can probably better describe it just talking about some of the surrounding counties. Um, I mean, the forming the western edge of the southern pine region, extending from Bowie County uh, to Red River counties in northeast Texas, all the way down, going down south to Jefferson, Harris, Waller counties in southeast Texas. And altogether, this region contains approximately 12 million acres of forest land. That's a lot of land. If you've driven that area, you'll see it's a lot of trees, a lot of woods. More than 11 million of, of, of those acres is classified as productive timberland, and it produces nearly all of the state's commercial timber in this East Texas 43-county region. So Texas is and has always been a major player in the timber industry, along with other states like Alaska, Oregon, California. When you look at those states, you see how how many trees they have when you look at a topographical map and all places with lots of trees. Fortunately, Texas is one of those regions that supply much of the timber and lumber that we use in this entire country. So it's a big business, Brandon. Yeah, and that's great information. Um, so so for those who don't know, um, how exactly is timber extracted or harvested? I, I know that there are lumber and timber companies and forestry companies that um, own and operate sawmills that cut and process trees. I know if you drive Highway 59 on any given day between Houston and Livingston headed north, you'll see these big tractor trailers that are hauling these massive 50-foot logs that weigh hundreds, if not thousands of pounds. We call them puckwood where, where, trucks. Where are these trees coming from? <laughs> Wood trucks. Yeah. yeah there you, uh, where, where are these trees coming from and, and how does it get harvested? So, so again, as we mentioned, here in Texas, over 90% of that lumber is coming from East Texas. I mean, places like Jasper and um, Newton and Polk and San Augustine and Tyler. I mean, all these different places. And, you know, I actually had the chance to actually watch how this process works when, as I oh, mentioned really? on the show before, yeah, when we've, we had some of our property culled, uh, some of the, the lumber that came off our property and you know, I watch okay. the, they have these big machines, Brandon, that go on your property and you have to watch them because if you're not watching it, these machines can tear up your property. But, you know, they have these big machines that come and basically uproot and uproot the trees and they actually identify the the trees that are good for the industry and, and the trees okay. are uprooted with these machines. Uh, you know, we had to go in and remove all of the cross fences and stuff because we had had cattle. So we had to make it easy for these big machines to come on our property. And it's typically, it's timber companies, lumber companies. That's what they do. And they come in and they do the cutting and extraction of the trees. They usually pile them up. If you ever drive, you'll see these big piles of logs that have been actually cut, right, to mm-hmm. a certain size. And then what was interesting, they have this other machine. It's, it's like claws, like hands. It'll strip the, the the limbs off. It's like a it's like it's something that looks like your hand, but probably bigger than a house. It'll grab a big wow. log and it'll just strip the le- the uh, the branches off. And then they have these big claw mighty, machines. Mighty machines. Yeah, I mean it is. It looks like the transformers or something. It'll it it'll pick yeah. up these logs like your hand picking up a twig, and then it'll put them into the wow. truck. It's an amazing industry. But but when I was looking at yeah. all this. 
what stuck in my mind is not just an amazing industry. It's, it's, it's how much and how big the resources are for timber that sure. apparently there's a lot of money, right. To, to buy those machines. There's a lot of money for the operators mm-hmm. and skill to operate those machines. There's a lot of money that goes into the gas Absolutely. and the resources to keep them maintained. So when I was watching this process and our, we mm-hmm. only had a hundred acres, right. Uh, that we were using just think about right. thousands of acres and how much goes in for the labor and the cost. It's big industry, big industry. It's massive undertaking. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I said I said Mighty Machines. My, I'm not sure if you've ever seen that show. It's a, a, a show called Mighty Machines, and my kids love that show. They oh, no, my feature my, these different. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say my kids, they they love this show and they feature um, different types of large machinery, sometimes airplanes, sometimes ships, sometimes uh, excavation equipment. So when you're describing uh, some of these machines and equipment that the timber industry is using, um, it just sounds fascinating, reminds me of that show. So I'm sure it's amazing to watch. You know, you, you need to take your kids out to see you know, this occurring, they'll love it. I mean, if they're watching shows like that, they're going to love it because these are huge machines. So it, it'll be something for them to watch and see. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so, so Greg, and, you know, in doing my research, I learned that, um, you know, somewhere around 92% of East Texas timber is owned by a little over 200,000 individuals and, and, and when I say individuals, that consists of individual landowners, uh, sometimes families, sometimes family partnerships, uh, family corporations, uh, forest product companies, and timber investment groups. And the remaining 8% is owned by the federal and state government. So federal, state, and local government. So the majority of this productive timber that we're talking about here in East Texas is in the hands of private individuals and not the government. Uh, So it seems like there's a huge transfer in this industry that you're describing. It seems like there's a huge transfer of wealth and business from these timber companies to the owners of the land uh, where this timber is being taken from. Is that fair to say? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. If the landowners do it right, I mean, yeah, you touched on it in the opening of the show. The lumber companies are making a lot of money. The sawmills, the transportation companies, I mean, they're hauling these logs from point A to point B. I mean, these activities are pumping a lot of money, millions of dollars into the Texas economy, and they're creating tons of jobs. But but to your point, yes, the landowners who sell the timber, they stand to benefit directly because, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's their timber. Uh, they're selling these to the lumber companies, just like any other crop or, or agriculture product that farmers may grow. And in this case, it just happens to be timber. So, yeah, there is money to be made, Brandon. Man, anytime you start talking about money, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> your eyes that's light up. Talk, so um, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the advice. Sounds like a great op. Yeah, exactly. You you can tell. Uh, I appreciate the advice. I'm ready to jump in. Sounds like a, a rural America that may have timber. Uh, let's say I have a property that 
may have 50 acres or 100 acres of timber on it. Maybe I can contact one of these lumber companies and, and maybe I could sell the rights to my, to my timber and make some money with my property. Sounds easy enough, right? Yeah, you could try, but, but there's a problem, Mr. Lawyer in the city. I mean, uh, just think about it. <laughs> what do you know about the timber business? I mean, uh, you know, you, you've, you've trained and you've, you've studied law. I mean, what do you know about the process? I mean, what about the market? Do you know the, the price per acre and how much, you know, the, the, the logs are going for? I mean, have you dealt with the sawmills? And I mean, I'm, I'm not just, Brandon, just poking fun at you, but most people who own land, they're not familiar with the industry. So what happens? They get, they get taken. I mean, yeah, you're, you're a smart guy. You could probably do your homework and figure it out, but do you have the time? I mean, there are many things that you, you just wouldn't know because you didn't grow up in the industry and you could get taken advantage of. You'd be at a disadvantage because you just don't have the expertise by these people. That's what they do. So it, it puts the landowner at a disadvantage. So, so what do you mean by um, I would be at a – give me some specific examples of how, as a landowner, I could be taken advantage of. All right. I'll, I'll give you – man, the greatest thing is personal experience. <laughs> I mean, after going through it. Okay. I'll use our land, for example. You know, our our land in Grapeland uh, has been in our family, you know, one form or another for hundreds of years. And my great uncle owned the 220 acres we own now. And when he passed away, probably in the uh, mid-80s, he willed his land to a daughter, 120 acres to her, and he willed the other 100 acres to his son. His daughter was a nurse in Corpus Christi. His son is an opera singer in New York. And, you know, what happened, and my father and his uncles grew up on this land, helping him work the lands with cows. Well, we had a cousin, um, the daughter, who let a timber company come into this beautiful property, rolling hills, lots of trees. And, again, she didn't know much about the timber business, and Brandon – they, being the timber company, just destroyed the land, taking these oh, wow. trees off. I mean, just just what destroyed. Happened? Oh, man, they knocked down. They they actually knocked down and created a road over a creek, dammed up the creek, uh, created roads That's where there good. were no roads. Exactly. And just, just destroyed the property. And I'm sure she didn't get a good price for the timber, but this property was destroyed just for the timber taken off. That's when my my father and his brother stepped in and said, Greg, we want to create a family uh, partnership and buy this property from our cousin so that we can preserve the land, Mm -hmm. bring it back to life. It took us about 15 years to get that land back to being beautiful and to get it to a point where it's it's good land. So that scenario is where I think my cousin was put at a disadvantage because all the logging companies want, the timber companies want it, was that – was that, that those trees, right? Was the wood. The, the wood. Yeah. But there was no conservation plan. There was no plan. Care about your property. Exactly. Exactly. Knocking down fences. So unless you have the right expertise and the right plan, the conservation plan, both you and your land may end up in a worse situation after these loggers come on your land. So that's personal experience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, like you said, I mean, you, you really have to have a, a plan in place so that you don't uh, run up against some of those pitfalls that you just described. I mean, sounds like a 
pretty bad experience. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. What about the size of my land? If I only own um, 50 acres or 100 acres, does that, would that make me, would that make my property more or less attractive to a lumber company? Well, again, you'd be at a disadvantage. I mean, you, you, you think about it, 50 to 100 acres, you're a smaller landowner. You, you like the bargaining power with these bigger companies. You know, a smaller plot of land is much less attractive to these logging companies. Remember I said sure. these are huge machines? Just think about it. They got to take a huge machine. They got to have labor costs, you know, all the maintenance costs, fueling costs to go do a 50-acre logging job. They're not that interested in that. It's not as attractive to these bigger companies. And and they're just going to go take your timber right. and not put the time and attention sure. in it because you're a small player. Uh, it's best for them to use their time and resources on, on harvesting from much larger tracts. So smaller tracts, you're at a disadvantage because you don't have gotcha. the bargaining power. I mean, they're looking for properties where there may be 1,000 acres. I mean, maybe 500 acres. I mean... But but for the fifty to hundred acres, it's 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 small, small potatoes, and so you know for them to to come on a smaller piece of property is not as efficient and practical for them to go you know do a job sure. on a thousand acres or even a five hundred acres. So you are at a disadvantage. Gotcha, gotcha. Wow. Okay. So here's what I want to know. Um, if I'm a small, limited resource landowner, um, I've got timber on my property, but uh, I don't have the knowledge or experience to dive into the timber industry, or or I don't have hundreds of acres of land. Uh, what can I do? What do I do? Is there a way for me to work with other landowners who may be similarly situated to put me and my property in a better position? How can I, how can I take advantage of the, the value of my land? There's definitely a way to do it, and uh, it's what we've been talking about these last couple of shows. It's the old adage, you know, Alone, we can do so little, but together we can do so much. I mean, you know, the past few weeks we've been talking about this idea of individuals coming together in a community, using the power of business cooperatives to share resources, share funds, working together so that the whole group, the whole community benefits. I mean, the same principles we've been discussing with agricultural co-ops, high-speed internet broadband co-ops, those same principles can be used to form a forestry co-op or a virtual forestry co-op, same ideas. They can work in this instance. Okay, so let's talk about that. That that sounds really fancy and complex. Break it down for our listeners. What what exactly is a virtual forestry cooperative? So, so Brandon, the goal of you know this concept of a virtual forestry cooperative is to to stabilize land ownership for small and limited resource landowners so that they can pull together their land. Just think about it. If you have 10, 10 landowners that own a hundred acres each, right? Okay. As we mentioned by themselves, they don't have a lot of leverage. They don't have a lot of bargaining power, but, but, but guess what? If, if they could pull in, in a cooperative, you take these 10 landowners and they pull their land together. That's a thousand acres. That's a thousand acres. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a lot more acreage uh, that can, you know, and, and that, that can have a management team. And let's say the co-op hires a manager that knows the industry, has relationships okay. in the industry. They can go drive the best prices, right? They can ensure that there's a conservation plan on the land so that it doesn't get destroyed when these big companies come in. I mean, by having a 
virtual forestry co-op, the landowners can overcome all of the boundaries and barriers that we've been discussing. I mean, the, the, the goal and mission of, of a virtual forestry cooperative will be to promote and, and, and ensure profitable and sustainable forest management for small landowners. That's, that's the thing. They can share information, equipment, labor. They can educate the landowners and provide affordable, better costs, right, when they bring in the services of the, the timber industry people. They, and what does that do? That increases profitability, for the landowners instead of them doing it themselves. Uh, they can coordinate timber harvest with, you know, other landowners. They can develop, you know, business okay. strategies and arrangements to coordinate that. And, and again, by pooling together, you know, small acres of land, you pull it together in a much larger acreage that gives you a lot more leverage. So that that's the idea. Okay. Working together, wow! And it, it sounds like there, there's just a lot of opportunity for the the members of the co-op to work together. Talk about that, and and talk about how membership in this virtual uh, cooperative, virtual forestry cooperative. Talk a little bit about how that will work. You know, we, we we talked about in Texas how the timber industry is in East Texas in 43 counties. That's a big area, right? Texas is huge. You know, for example, you could you could. You could create one co-op that covers all of East Texas, right? And then you could have regional, for example, regional hubs, right? You could take Northeast Texas and you could have, that's a regional, you know, market. And and you can know the players in the industry in that market, right? And so that regional hub kind of does the marketing, the certifying of land, land management of, of the landowners in that area. You could do the same thing in Central East Texas, Southern East Texas, and create a larger entity. The great thing about it, you know, you could have a management team that is has seamless and uniform policies and processes. And when they deal with the third-party harvesters, you know, they can have one contract, right, and say we're bringing all of this land, 2,000 acres, 5,000 acres, to, to drive the best pricing. And so you can have basically regional hubs where these hubs can operate on behalf of the landowners and they can bring in, you know, advancements in technology to serve the landowners. And basically they can educate the Mm -hmm. landowners on things that not just help their timber, but also sustainable land management plan, wildlife conservation plans, talk about inventory technology and management of information process. What about herbicide use to to help, you know, keep the property, uh, you know, in good shape, protecting privacy buffers and, you know, even mm-hmm. creating scenic views, the aesthetics on your land, create, you know, prescribed fire, wildlife habitat management, you know, water pres- preservation and use, all of these good practices for lands. What does that do when you do all that for the land? Not only can you make money on the timber, but guess what? Your property value goes up. Your land value goes, goes up. up. So you're you're doing what? You're increasing the wealth of the landowner. That's what a virtual forestry co-op can do for landowners. Wow. It, and, and I mean, to me, it just sounds like, um, you know, membership in a virtual forestry co-op really just has a great opportunity for the landowners to to share resources and uh, to become educated about things that, you know, otherwise they may not know about yep. and, uh, you know, great opportunity to share expenses and reduce expenses um, and, and, and really just make their land more attractable, that's more it. attractive and more valuable. So um, that that's, that's awesome and fantastic. 
Um, so let's say I become a member and I and I pool my land with other small landowners to form a larger co-op. And, you know, we have the hopes and the goals of uh, one day being able to sell our timber in the future. What does that mean right now for the usage of my land? I mean, can I still use it? If, if, if I'm a hunter, can I still hunt? Uh, in what ways as a landowner, am I limited or restricted in terms of the use of my property if it's in a virtual forestry co-op? So first comment is that you basically have no restrictions. You can still hunt. You can still fish. Okay. You can still use the land That's for good. recreational purposes. You can even run cattle on it. Shouldn't shouldn't affect you, if, you know, except maybe when they're doing the actual timber, you'd have to go put them somewhere they don't get in the and, and, you know, get into the uh, way of those big machines. Don't, don't but have a tree fall on Yeah, them. you don't want that to happen. And so, but but pretty much no restrictions. I mean, the only restriction I would probably say you would have is what I would call a less than permanent easement, right? You would have to have an agreement between the co-op and the landowner, let's say a 10-year agreement that says, hey, we're going to put a sustainable forestry management plan in place for your land to to help your trees be stronger and healthier, to help your land and, you know, water conservation. We're going to do all that for your property, but it takes time, right? Sure. So, so I call it like a less than permanent easement, maybe a 10-year easement for us to work this. But during that time, you know, you still use the land. So, so the only restriction may okay. be given the land time to work within the plan that the uh, the professionals will come up to manage the land. That's a, probably the only restriction you have. Other than that, no, there's no restriction. It's excellent. It's good to know. Okay. So we talked, um, last week we talked a lot about, um, you know, many of the state and federal resources that are available uh, to individuals and to communities that are looking to start and participate uh, in a co-op. Are these same sort of resources available uh, for communities or landowners interested in starting a virtual co-op? Oh, man, there's so many resources. I mean, I'm actually working with... Uh, okay, uh, let's talk know, about it. Yeah, you have all the ag extensions, right, from the universities, Prairie View A&M Ag Extension Group. Uh, they actually, just to put a plug into them, we'll I mean, they just got a $310,000 grant from the U.S. government, the uh, the uh, American Forestry wow. Foundation, yeah, to go help uh, African-American landowners create sustainable forestry management plans uh, on their land. Uh, Texas A&M Ag Extension is very active in, in that same area. And there are other existing forestry programs sponsored by the U.S. government. There's a, uh, the USDA is active, the National uh, uh the natural national conservation resources and uh, services, the USDA forest service. Then there's the Federation of Southern cooperatives. There are the American forestry foundation that I mentioned, the U S forestry endowment. There are so many programs out there that you can tap into. And I would say a good start would be contacting the ag extensions, you know, at Prairie View or, or Texas A&M because they're, they're very knowledgeable. And the USDA is another good one because they can point you in the right direction. But there's just a lot of professionals out there that are willing to, to work with landowners. But, you know, as I mentioned, that uh, the Prairie View A&M program, they've got $310,000. It's a grant. And they want to implement the sustainable forestry and African-American land retention program in Texas, and it's called the SFLR. Uh, it helps small forest landowners to manage their forest land 
to maximize timber production. And the goal is to educate small forest landowners about ways to retain their land and their families and to provide better estate planning and avoid heirs issues. And, uh, you know, the programs are, uh, they're, they're in educational outreach meetings in East Texas. They're going to have those. And in those same counties we talked about, they'll have one-on-one technical okay. forestry management programs and, uh, they'll be able to implement management plans with, with landowners. They provide, uh, financial incentives, uh, installing those practices, those forestry practices, and then they'll provide legal support. I mean, it's an awesome opportunity presented by, you know, Prairie View A&M. And uh, hopefully, we were, I'm hoping that we'll have Dr. Clarence Bunch, who's the uh, director of that program on our show, for an interview sometime. So, so all of you out there listening, stay tuned. We hope to bring him on soon. It sounds exciting. Sounds like a great opportunity. Sounds like there are a lot of great resources out there. Um, so what's the first step? If I wanted to, if I'm in my community, I'm a small, uh, limited resource landowner, and I wanted to start a virtual forestry co-op, uh, how would I start? Where do I start? Well, you know, you're going to hear this same theme as we talk about these co-ops. I mean, it starts in the community. It starts in the community. The communities needs to develop people that are interested, landowners that are interested, and they should put together a steering committee in that community, a steering committee. And that okay. steering committee is dedicated to developing a, a clear and concise vision for that community when it comes to a, a virtual forestry co-op. And they can coordinate the efforts to get things started. They can then reach out to, you know, the the, the forestry partners we mentioned, like Prairie View A&M University, Texas A&M University. They can have conversations maybe with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, the U.S. Endowment for Forestry or the American Forestry Foundation and the U.S. DA representative in the community. That steering committee is where it starts. That's definitely where it should start. That's the team that kicks things off. And and so in terms of, um, you know, if, if let's say we got the steering committee rolling and we're interested in, in, in starting a virtual forestry co-op, I mean, how does a person know that that a virtual forestry co-op could work with their land? How, how would a landowner know if it's if it's even feasible to be a part of a, a virtual forestry co-op? I'm sure not all land is created equal, right? Oh, that's correct. And typically, what you as part of the even the feasibility study for the for the steering committee, I mean, in working with these professionals, like I said, the ag extension offices or some of these other organizations, they would probably uh, have a process to where they would have a a, a a whole process for landowners where they would be able to go. Even I think the USDA as a service now, they'll come out to your land and look at your land and determine its suitability. But but typically that 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 concept of having a virtual forestry co-op steering committee working in the community, they would have a process to kind of bring landowners in, look at their land, see how feasible it is, see the viability of timber on that land, and would be able to tell you that, hey, you are a good possible participant in this co-op, or maybe you're not. Maybe there are other uses. Maybe there's other uses for your land. Maybe it's for some of these other ideas and co-ops we're talking about. Maybe your land uh, is not good land for timber. Maybe it's good for something else. So sure. I, I think the process would be established, you know, for landowners to get to get 
uh, information on the feasibility of the land to participate in this. I'll give you an example. Of, you know, that's basically what uh, the Prairie View SFLR program does. I mean, they'll okay. talk to a landowner and they've got a process. Well, they'll look at that landowner's land and determine, are you a good candidate for this program or not? So the, mm-hmm. the co-op would do the same thing, Brandon, I think. And there's definitely uh, professionals that would help with that. It's awesome. Yeah. So it's, and, 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 you know, I think you made a, a valid point that, um, you know, we were, we're not here to say that any one of these programs are, you know, what you should be doing with your land. And, and, and that's part of these conversation. We're, we're here to talk about some of the different tools that may be available to help you increase the value of your land. And, and this is just one of those uh, tools that you could use to potentially make your land work for you. So uh, that's great a, information. That, Brandon, that's a good, good point to raise. I mean, it's not to say any one of these is perfect, but, but boy, we're presenting so many out of all the ones we're presenting Mr. and Mrs. Landowner, you've got to find one you that's going to make one. some money. I mean, that's the point. We're presenting a bunch. One's going to work. Use that land. Exactly. That's the idea. <laughs> so, yeah. Make it work for you. Make it work for you. Make your land work for you. One of these ideas will work for you. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, great show today, Greg. And before we get out of here, I need to, uh, I think I need to go in my bag of strange but true stories. Strange but true. I got a good one here for you. All right. I can't wait. (laughs) So a Texas game warden received information from an individual who said he saw a Snapchat video of a young man shooting a gun off the highway multiple times at night. After reviewing the video, the warden was able to obtain the shooter's name and location. Game wardens interviewed the individual who said that he was shooting at some pigs crossing the road and didn't know that the passenger was recording him with her phone. He was unaware that it was going to be posted to social media. Of course, cases are now pending. That's that's strange. <laughs> strange, but unfortunately true. Unfortunately true. And and a uh, great show today. I I really enjoyed it. I enjoy talking about these subjects. I just think there's so much that a smaller landowner can do to really put that wonderful piece of gold they have, that gold, their land to work. So let's keep at it. Uh, We're going to keep pumping out the information. And I, like we said, most definitely, Mr. and Mrs. Landowner, there's bound to be a way to make your land work for you. Brandon, great show. Looking forward to the next one. Great show, Grant. And uh, let's keep at it.